405, or just I am live from the 405. I have never done a solo podcast before, but there's a time and place for everything, and I figured I'd just get these takes out and my opinions out so we can have it on wax. Um, this is the day of the draft, June 23rd, 2022. I am so excited to see what the Thunder are doing tonight. But let's go backwards for a second. Um, I did have the opportunity to go to the Jones Assembly a few weeks ago for the Down to Dunk um, lottery party, which was a great time. I think there were over 500 people there, people roaring, jumping up and down. It was crazy. It was standing room only just to see the Thunder get the number two pick, which I was ecstatic about. We've been talking about it all year. Top three, top three, top three. I just want to be in the top three, and they got two, which means they're getting either number one or number two on Sam Presti's board. There's not much more you could ask for. And, you know, the Clippers pick did not jump, but you're still at 12, which is a nice range. So these, this is the final one. We've had final weeks, uh, finals week earlier, semester's over, but I still want to get the final rankings of the top three of Chet, Jabari, and Paolo. Start off with number one. I've got Chet. Um, this is I wanted to also say this stuff and put this out here before the Thunder had their draft, and we know who's going to the Thunder, so it doesn't sound like, oh, you know, Michael just liked this guy because he's with the Thunder or whatever. I don't want this to be something that we look at in retrospect or hindsight is 2020 view, and it's like, oh, you like the guy who the Thunder picked. You didn't say anything before. You know, I've talked all year. It's kind of been between Chet and Jabari. But I've got Chet one, as I said. Um, Chet, I think, is the best player in this draft. I hope he goes to the Thunder number two. I hope Orlando passes on him. But if I have the number one pick, that's who I'm taking. Chet, to me, you know, he's seven foot, got that seven six frame. He's lean. You know, uh, Bill Simmons talked about him being kind of weird body Al Horford. And I think that's kind of fair. But Chet just has even more to his game than somebody like Horford. Uh, but Chet, to me, is 80% of Gobert on defense with actual offensive tools. He's going to be a guy who's going to be able to shoot the three, at least in the high 30s, if not in the low 40s, for a long time. He's going to be able to finish. He's a good ball handler for his size. He's a good passer for his size. He hits his free throws. He's a good, like, connective tissue player, as a lot of media people like to talk about, where he just makes other guys fit. He makes other guys make sense. And um, Sam Vecini and other great scouts have all talked about his defensive awareness and defensive versatility and his defensive impact. Just him as a rim protector is exactly what the Thunder are needing right now. And um, I just think that Chet is unbelievable. I also wanted to talk to the point about Chet because there's a lot of people that's like, well, we don't have a comp for him. Yeah, there's not really an easy comp for Chet. But to me, I'm not saying he's going to be one of these players, but you look back at the guys who have changed basketball, guys like Steph Curry, guys like Giannis, guys like LeBron, and or not even LeBron because there was a comp with Magic, but guys who it's kind of unorthodox or you don't really need know who to size it up with. Even Dirk or Kevin Durant are kind of one of ones at the time. And Chet, to me, has the makings of somebody like that where, you know, there's, there is a good chance he doesn't turn out to be a star or a superstar, but... The ceiling for Chet is so high as a guy who can kind of be the next wave of basketball as what we're looking at as a seven footer that can handle the ball, shoot the three and guard the rim. And I think to me, if you just described his skill set and you didn't show a picture of him, you know, everyone has concerns about his frame. But if you just said he's seven foot, seven, six wingspan, he can run really well. He can jump. He can block shots. He can handle the ball. He gets steals. uh, He can shoot. He can dribble, pass, all that stuff. You said, this guy's seven foot. 
would you take him number one? You'd go, absolutely. But it's hard not to look past those some of those bodily concerns. But to me, I just don't think that's as big of a deal. It's gotten really overblown, the things. It's like, well, can he guard Jokic? Can he guard Embiid? I'm not worried about that because nobody can guard those guys. So I think that's kind of pointless. To me, it's more impactful or more important to ask, you know, can he decently switch on to guards? Can he be somebody who can go out into space a little bit? And I think he can. I think he's a much better prospect just kind of mobily on defense than Porzingis was or even uh, Gobert was. And on top of that, he's a much better offensive prospect than both those guys. So needless to say, Chet number one, I have convinced it's got to be Chet tonight. I will be crushed if it is not Chet. Um, But next up, number two on my board, I've got Jabari Smith Jr. out of Auburn. You know, 6'10", three-point shooter. He's a versatile defender who can come in and probably play a lot of the four or the three. He fits a need for the Thunder as a guy who can just space the floor. He's one of the best shooting bigs this side of Kevin Durant. I'm not going to compare anybody to Kevin Durant because he doesn't have the handle like that. He doesn't have the passing ability or the defensive versatility. But if you're just saying as a pure jump shooter, he's one of the better big guys who can shoot since Durant in that, I guess, sub-niche category, which is still really important. Jabari, to me, has um, the second highest ceiling but also the lowest floor of the top three. I think Chet, regardless, is going to be somebody who can, like I mentioned, is going to handle the ball, going to make threes, going to be able to shoot a little bit, going to be able to anchor your defense, even if he's not a generational superstar or even an all-star. Jabari, to me, the floor is lower because it is a lot of just jump shots as his offensive game. He's not a great passer yet. He's not a great ball handler yet. He doesn't really have the mid-range game. He's not a good finisher in the lane. That's not to say he can't improve that and he can't get there someday, but those are a lot of skills you're going to need to develop. Keep in mind, he is a year younger than both Paolo and Chet, but it's still, those are very, very hard skills to develop, especially when you're coming in the NBA. There have been, you know, examples of guys like Kawhi and Giannis and others, but the reason that I can name those guys is because it's not a long list of guys who can go from elite athlete, but he has the shooting already, so that's going to give him a baseline for success. He's not going to get played off the floor on defense. It's just a matter of how much can he develop those other skills. But to me, if he does develop those skills, I think you're looking at a better Chris Middleton, like Chris Middleton 2.0, as we saw with the Bucks last year, who's the second best player on a championship team. They really missed him this year in the playoffs. I think they go to the finals if he's healthy this year. So there's nothing to, you know... Um, it's no consolation. It is. It's no consolation prize, I guess, to get Jabari. This is, you know, any other draft. One, you're very, very happy with him. If I'm Orlando, I'm very happy with Jabari, even if I have Chet number one on my board. But uh, Jabari, to me, has a little bit of a lower ceiling than Chet and uh, Paolo, who I'm going to talk about next. All right, Paolo Bancaro. John and I talked about this all year. I've been lower on Paolo than other people. And it started to go upward trajectory where I'm a little bit higher on him. So to preface, I did have Jabari, just as we said right before, number two and Palo three on my board. But I think overall, if I'm not putting into the fact that Thunder is a fit, I might have Palo two and Jabari three. Palo is a unique prospect as a guy who's, you know, six... 10, 6, 11, as I had some of those measurements with the Rockets, he can handle the ball, he can post up, he can shoot the three, he's just kind of a complete offensive player, obviously he's still going to need to improve as a shooter and some of the turnovers, but 
if you just look at like a baseline of like offensive skills, there's not a big hole in his game. To me, he compares, I said earlier in the season, to somebody like Julius Randle. I don't think that is accurate as much now as I've watched more tape about him and learned more about him. I think it's more like uh, Chris Webber or like Sacramento Kings Chris Webber or even Detroit Blake Griffin, where he doesn't have the athleticism of like Clippers Blake, but he can shoot the three, he can handle the ball, he's a good passer who can facilitate your offense and things can run through him, handle the ball, um, shoot from different places, he can post up some, but the big concerns with Paolo to me are on the defensive end, which it's been very hit or miss for him effort-wise and just getting lost and unfocused on things. If he can ratchet that up and figure it out, I've seen some of the Tatum comps and I don't totally disagree with that on the defensive side of the ball. If, you know, if he's in tremendous shape and he's giving it his all, there's no doubt in my mind Paolo can be a really good defender. But if he stays on this course, and I'm not sure that Houston is the best place to develop effort on defense, I know that we're not in the Mike D'Antoni days there anymore, but still to me with guys like Jalen Green, Shin Goon, Kevin Porter Jr., I don't really see a defensive bone in this team's body, but maybe Paolo will fit right in with that. But to me, the biggest concerns with Paolo are on the defensive end of what position does he guard? I don't think he's big enough or physical enough yet for true fives. And I don't think he's quick enough or fast enough to guard threes and fours on the perimeter. So obviously the game goes both ways. So if he's good enough offensively, it doesn't matter how bad he is defensively to a degree because he's playing those guys off the floor. It's kind of the balance, you know, like Steph Curry on both ends um LeBron on both ends of like what do you give me on both ends because some guys like Trey Young are so good offensively that it can make up for their defensive concerns or guys like Rudy Gobert as we've seen in the playoffs a little bit less effective in this notion but in the regular season especially it's like he gives you so much on defense that you kind of just live with the minuses on offense but Paolo I do just have those major concerns of kind of the old school tweener questions because for a while it was great to be a tweener that you could guard either one but I think he's a tweener defensively and not a great way sort of like uh, Rui Hachimura as just like you're right in between and I'm not sure that you're necessarily built to guard either one but who knows Paolo could shed some weight get in the weight room really develop physically and maybe uh, they their coaching staff down in Houston or wherever he's drafted can get the most out of him. But to me, I definitely have defensive concerns, especially if he goes somewhere like Houston. All right. Um, next up, we have to trade down to four or not. There's been a lot of speculation about the Thunder trading down to four to potentially pick up Jaden Ivey. I think that would be a deal with the Kings where maybe the Kings would give up four an unprotected pick in 2023 or maybe a top one, top three protected to the Thunder. We're not going to talk about if that's a good deal or not. It's just what if that happened? And I am not a fan of that. Well, I guess I am going to talk about this a good idea. But um, I am not a fan of that. If the Thunder, let's say, alternate universe, glad we got this one, but alternate universe, they get the number four pick in the draft. All we would be talking about is trading up into the top three, probably trying to go get Chet at two. Let's be honest. In the same way that the Thunder were last year. If the Thunder get a top three pick in the last year's draft, I know these drafts are different, but there's not a chance in this world if they get the number two or three pick, they're going, hey, what if we accumulate another asset? And I get because it's Presti and he's unpredictable. You might think, hey, there's there's a way he could trade down. I mean, no one saw the Josh Giddy pick coming or James Harden or Russell Westbrook. I just don't really see that. I think that Jaden Ivey's, I know that it's 
you're not supposed to talk about fit with a team that's winning 20 games, but Jaden Ivey just complicates your rebuild even further. You're already having issues with Giddy and Shea just splitting ball handling where Shea's getting less usage, but to push in a third guy, I think would give you real problems. And I've also got concerns about that defensively, but Hey, Sam Presti knows more about basketball than me. If he decides to trade down to four, I won't be excited, but if he does that and he gets Ivy, to me that screams he thinks this guy is an all-star or a superstar caliber guy, and if he is, then that is worth doing. But to me, I would just rather have the safety net of Chet or even Jabari over some of the risk of Ivy and some of the fit concerns and just how much harder that would make the team to build around where you're having another guard into the lineup where you already have Shea, Giddy, Dort, Trey Mann, uh, even Poku is a wing, but still handles it a lot. And at some point, it's like there's only one ball to go around, and all these guys are going to need development and touches, and I just don't think that's the best option. Top five options at 12, or if the Thunder trade up to 7 to 10. In Tier 1, I've got Shaden Sharp, the mystery man. John and I talked about him a while ago, but I've really gotten to dive deep into the little film there is out of him. And he's one of those guys who I feel confident in, taking in a swing on, especially since you have the number two pick where you're taking Chet. If, say, um, Shaden Sharp was the only pick the Thunder were having, I would not feel as confident. But I feel like the Thunder, especially as a developing team, have enough touches for him as a shooter and off the bench, or could even put him in the G League. He is not somebody who's going to come in and light the building on fire and immediately ball out. Somebody like Cade Cunningham, where it's like, oh, this guy's and immediately, I can tell this guy's going to be an all-star superstar. Shaden Sharp's going to take some time. He's only 18. He hasn't played basketball really in the last couple of years, but he's still an incredibly dynamic athlete, not necessarily off the dribble, although he has a good handle. He's a little bit more like Shea like that, where he kind of lulls you to sleep and then gets by you. But he is explosive as far as blocking shots, catching lobs, and he can shoot it from about anywhere off the dribble or off movement. Um, it's been really nice to see that his camp wants him in OKC. There's some definite uh, threads you can connect together between him and Shea. They had the same trainers coming in the draft. Uh, RJ Barrett also had the same trainer, and I think his trainer said that Shaden Sharp is the best prospect out of all three of them. Uh, that, that's got to mean something. So I think that he is in Tier 1. Next up is Jeremy Sohan out of Baylor. I understand that Thunder fans have some bad memories of Terrence Ferguson and Darius Baisley, Josh Hustis, Tabo Cephalosha, Andre Robertson of, hey, we got this guy who can really defend and we're going to teach him how to shoot. I think Jeremy Sohan is a little bit differently, a little bit different because he can really guard one through five. He's a lot like Scotty Barnes in that sense. And he can also handle the ball and is a good passer and he's aggressive. We saw it even with Giddy last year that he's not a great shooter. But the biggest thing for a young guy who can't shoot is, are you willing to shoot? Are you willing to miss? Guys like Ben Simmons or Terrence Ferguson, they get in their own head and they are not ready to do that. And shooting to me is huge part of it is just confidence. And if you are confident or fearless like Giddy was last year, that to me is a very good sign. And all indications say that um, Jeremy Sohan would be that guy. You also get someone who is um, has a pretty interesting background. He's born in Guyman. His mom played in a women's professional basketball league up there in Guyman in the Panhandle. He grew up overseas. He plays uh, on various national teams and then went over and played with Jaden Ivey a little bit, I think, on a high school team before coming to Baylor. But I think that Jeremy Sohan, if you can pair him with Chet, you have your defensive um, front court for the future. 
that's just so easy to build around so malleable of course you do still have some of the shooting concerns i think that shea bounces back this year i think giddy improves but to what extent that's definitely a swing skill um chet's gonna shoot it i feel pretty confident about that but sohan it kind of determines it which one of him and giddy can shoot it you can't have both not shooting it obviously you're doing backflips front flips somersaults whatever if both can shoot it but I think that is a very, very good spot for the Thunder to be in if you can have both those guys as your front court who also can take the ball off the rim, get in transition like Mark Dagnall wants, and both can be facilitators. These are not guys like Steven Adams who get the rebound and you're like, please, for the love of God, find an outlet, get it to somebody else because we don't want you handling the ball. No offense, Steven Adams, it's not his game. All these guys can handle the ball, get out on the break, and get in transition, get it going really, really fast. There's no waiting. The Thunder are going to be playing at 110 miles per hour or whatever speed limit you have, kilometers if you're overseas. But I am very much looking forward to seeing what Mark Dagnall has in plans for us because they've kind of shown their hand playing guys like Isaiah Roby, Darius Baisley, other guys at the five, Olivier Saar, who are more athletic and not the traditional center size, but they can really run. They um, have some level of shooting and they can get out and be mobile on the perimeter. And I think that's the way the league is trending. We have seen some centers uh, be very impactful, but you look at the conference finals, no team had a center over six, nine. I mean, you had, uh, I think Robert Williams was the tallest center in the finals at 6'9", but you had Al Horford, you had uh, Kevon Looney, Draymond Green 6'6", Bam Adebayo 6'9", Dwight Powell and those guys around 6'8", 6'9". So it's less about just overall size, but some of the functionality of being able to be malleable and switch onto multiple positions and guard multiple positions and multiple sizes. Sure, you want somebody who can guard Embiid, but... In a league like this today, where it's constant switching, constant movement, it is really, really hard to just stay attached to one guy, especially with how much pick and roll there is out there. Where, you know, if you run um, something like that against Philadelphia, they're going to pick and roll you to get uh, to death and get your big guy on James Harden. So I think it's important to find guys who can guard both. And I think Chet has a good chance to be a really good rim protector and switch out into space. And then Jeremy Sohan especially is somebody who's a big body at like 6'9", sort of built like Ben Simmons, but he can switch out, he can guard post-ups, he can get onto guards, he's fast enough. Like he'll, you'll see him switch one through five in a single college game like he get, uh, did against uh, North Carolina. But I'm very high on Jeremy Sohan, so that is uh, for tier one, Shaden Sharp and Jeremy Sohan. Tier two... A little bit below this, I'd be happy. I wouldn't be as happy as those other two. But Johnny Davis, just a certified bucket out of Wisconsin. I wasn't as high about him when it was like the talk of him going 5, 6, 7. But if you can get him around 12, I think that's great value. He's somebody who led um, Wisconsin's scoring, was basically their alpha and omega offensively, and was pretty efficient with not a lot of help around him. It looked like... Um, just one really talented guy at a YMCA squad, and that guy's just trying to carry them. But to me, he looks like a microwave scorer who can come off the bench and be really efficient. I think that he can he has the tools and the body to be a good defender, and he showed some of that off at Wisconsin. I think he would fit in great with the Thunder as just being a guy who's another guy who can take people off the dribble. You're seeing that with even like the Warriors in the finals the last few years, is you can't just beat people with ball movement only. At some point, other teams are going to know your stuff, they're going to blow it up, and you need some level of 
of off the dribble creation and the Warriors, you know, some of why they won this year is they got that in Andrew Wiggins. They had that in Jordan Poole. They had that in Steph Curry, but you have to have multiple guys. And I think that Johnny Davis would fit in as another playmaker alongside um, Giddy, um, Shea and Trey Mann, especially the last two, as guys who can create their shown, uh, own shot off the dribble and be effective scorers. Uh, Johnny Davis, there are some questions about, you know, how well can he shoot the three? But my gut feeling tells me that he is somebody who's going to be in the gym and is going to get that figured out. I mean, he played through a lot of stuff down the stretch of the season, which is why his numbers didn't look as good. But to me, I'm happy and excited that a guy's going to play through injuries. Obviously, it's going to affect his numbers, but I'd rather have somebody who's tough than somebody who, you know, has a little bit better numbers by a few uh, decimal points but when their team needed them they decided they weren't going to play for just small injuries if you can play through it i think it's a good thing to see that you can play through it um a little bit different in tier two is aj griffin son of adrian griffin who was an assistant coach with the thunder and now an assistant with the toronto raptors he was a longtime nba vet aj was um somebody who was really sought after in high school he kind of looked like jimmy butler with a three which is an insane player uh he's built like a brick house he shot around 45 percent from three in that duke team um but he basically just played three and d some of the D was not there, though. He got lost um, on a lot of off-ball movement and got blown by by some guys. The big thing with him is, or the question with him is, can he ref- return to his peak athleticism? If he can do that, then he's somebody you would take in the top five, top six easily. But that's the big question, is he's had some injuries over the last couple of years that have really looked like they've sapped him of his athleticism and being that nuclear athlete, because before he's dunking on guys, he's blocking shots, and now he's just more of a pull-up shooter, standstill shooter. And if he can't get back to that and be an off-the-dribble threat and be a good defensive player and get back to his athleticism, to me, it just screams a guy like Buddy Heald, who I like out of OU, but he's not somebody I'm dying to pick in the water. I'd rather pick in the late first round. So it's this one is really up to the Thunder medical team to, and how they would um, take on a guy like A.J. Griffin and if they feel confident that that athleticism can return. There's not a lot of like examples of guys who it's like they were not super athletic in college after being athletic in high school and they returned to being an elite athlete in the NBA. I have the best hope for A.J. Griffin. I hope it works out. I think he's a really good player, but that's why you I have him in Tier 2 instead of Tier 1. He's a little bit the opposite of Johnny Davis as he didn't have a big role offensively with Duke with just all the playmakers they had with guys like Wendell Moore and Paolo Bancaro and even Mark Williams uh, they kind of just stuck him in the corner which he was really good at shooting but um, maybe there is more below the surface that we're not that they didn't touch on yet but that's what I would be hopeful about but I still have Johnny Davis just over him by a hair finally tier three final the top five of um, candidates from about seven to twelve say if the Thunder did trade up Jalen Duran, I've said this time and time again that I'm not a big fan of taking a center in the top five or even in the lottery unless you think they are special. I think Chet is special. Jalen Duran to me is at least it. I think I'm heavily influenced by just watching Robert Williams in the finals. But to me, if you're going to have, like Bill Simmons said, weird body Al Horford, you know, who paired really well with him is somebody like Robert Williams who can be athletic, who's really physical. And Jalen Duran is a freak. He doesn't really have the offensive tools right now, but he has a big catch radius. He can catch lobs for about anywhere. He looks like 
Dwight Howard when he came into the NBA out of high school, where it's like, how were you made in a lab? It just doesn't make sense. But he moves really well. He's gotten some BAM comps. I don't think he moves as well as BAM or is as quick as BAM, but uh, Jalen Duren's going to enter the league and be like a top 10 athlete. He's going to be a top three athlete at the center position for sure. He's just super dynamic. It's just a question of, do you think you can shape some of those skills and get him to a point where he's not just an athlete out there? Because there've been plenty of guys who come to the league who are super athletic, but they never develop anything. And that's why they're no longer in the league where they're backups or things like that. And, Jalen Duran, um, it's going to be, can he ever shoot? Can he be an efficient scorer? Because I just don't agree with, you know, let's say he is like a discount DeAndre Jordan in his prime, blocking shots, catching lobs. Still, you're having your guards do all the work for those guys and producing everything, and I just don't value that as much. I'd rather just take somebody like Nerlens Noel off a uh, for a second-round pick. But Jalen Duran, I see the potential for him, and that's why I have him in Tier 3. It's just, just a mention, just a shout-out. I wouldn't – I'd be moderately surprised – I'd be pretty surprised if they took Duran. But um, I think that I, I would – still, there's an avenue for it succeeding. Um, and then last but not least, we've got a very big Dort decision coming up. Lou Dort, um, everyone loves him. We love him. Uh, big Dort energy. Captain is that here, that motto. But there's a big decision coming. He's an um, restricted free agent, This or he has a team option this season where the Thunder can match or extend him, or they can keep the option, or what is, give me a second. They um, can accept or decline the option. There we go. They accept it. They push it a year back, then he's a restricted free agent next year, which means that teams can match off or teams can offer him, and the Thunder have the chance to match. But you never know with restricted free agency. You don't want guys to get there because sometimes some crazy team will offer a bag at a guy who's not worth it, like the Nets did with Tyler Johnson. And then if you're the Heat and you want to keep somebody, you kind of have to match those. So you don't want to be in that position, and Sam Presti has shown before he doesn't like to do that. So he usually either signs his guy, his guys ahead of a year, or he's going to move them in their contract year because he doesn't like to go through that stuff, which I don't blame him. But for Dort, he's been a very big part of this team so far. Um, he's the best defender on the roster, as is today. He's a guy who can shoot about 40% from the corners. He's really improved as a ball handler and as a shooter and as a scorer. He averaged about 17 last year, which to me is probably going to be his career high. So I just have, I just wonder, is this his peak trade value? Obviously he would have been valued a little bit more last year just because he had two years left on this deal. But I wonder how many teams think what level of growth plate there is for a guy like Lou Dort. Because to me, if you're winning a championship or you're trying to compete for the finals or even a conference finals, I don't think Lou Dort can be a top three offensive threat on your team. So I wonder how much money, one, is he going to be asking for? Because a lot of this gets solved by if he asks for $20 million a year, $22 million, you just go, hey, thanks for all the help. We're going to have to sign and trade you. We just don't think you're worth that. But if he is willing to take around like 15 to 18 in that range, then you talk, you try to work something out. But there's another level to this of what role does he want? Because I think everyone knows he was in his optimal role as a rookie with the Thunder with that Chris Paul team in the bubble of just play defense, shoot corner threes, 
attack closeouts, do all that stuff, but do not handle the ball. Don't be a facilitator. Don't be somebody who's running high pick and rolls. And I just wonder, what is Lou Dort's appetite for that? You're already seeing a guy like DeAndre Ayton in Phoenix, who was probably in his ideal role, just as a lob guy, pick and pop guy, switching out on defense. But he has said and expressed that he thinks he can do more. And if Phoenix doesn't want to give him that opportunity or pay him, he's going to go find it elsewhere. And I think Lou Dort, there might be some of that to him. And I just wonder, is he going to be okay taking a couple steps back? Because let's say hypothetically, the Thunder this year in the draft take Chet and let's say Shaden Sharp, just for fun. Of the hierarchy of guys getting touches, I don't know that Lou Dort is in the top five. Because Shea and Giddy are going to get the most. Then you got Chet. Then you got Shaden. You got Trey Mann. You got to throw Poku in there at some point. I probably have Dort over Poku still. But... Is he going to be fine being a fifth or sixth option offensively and not getting nearly as much freedom as he had before? This is one of the problems with tanking is sometimes you have guys on these bad teams who get a lot more responsibility and um, playmaking um, time than they would on a good team. And I just wonder if Lou Dort is going to have the ability to take a step back. Maybe he comes in to Presti and he goes, hey, I know what it is. I'm taking 15 to 18 million. We'll negotiate the details, but I love OKC. You guys took a uh, chance on me as an undrafted guy. I love playing with Shea. He's my best friend. Um, and I want to win more than anything. I am fine taking a step back as long as you guys take care of me financially. And we are on a, um, we're on the track to uh, victory and being a really good team. For me, I can see him doing that. And that makes sense for both sides, but it really comes down to is, what does he want as a role and what does he want financially? It would pain me to trade Lou Dort, but there's a certain part of me that also is like, well, if he doesn't, you got to be a step ahead. You can't lose the asset for nothing. You can't let the asset deplenish and you need to do something. You need to be proactive rather than reactive based on things happening. So I guess my bold idea, I don't, I wouldn't say this is prediction, but do not be, shocked or floored or anything like that if Lou Dort is traded tonight. I don't think that'll happen, but just you need to keep an open mind to it. I think there's a real possibility. There's been the rumors with teams like Portland being really heavily interested in him. That doesn't make a lot of sense for me as Portland side, if they're going to pair Anthony Simons and uh, Dame Lillard, two small guards who can't guard with another small guard, Lou Dort, who can guard, and then you also have Jeremy Grant. To me, that just doesn't fix all their problems. They need more wing depth. They probably need a better center, too, than just bringing back Nurkic as an option. But Lou Dort definitely has interest. He's a guy worth keeping. But if the value's there, Sam Presti's already said, each player, each pick, each asset has a set value. And if a team offers... Uh, something that exceeds that value, what they've predetermined, you got to take it. So we'll see, but hopefully we can keep Lou Dort in the Thunder uniform in OKC, but you never know. Um, but thank you so much for listening to the Thundergrad just over the course of the last year. It's been a lot of fun putting out content and being able to share my love for basketball and the Thunder and the NBA with all of you. Um, Next steps coming up, I've got some ideas and some proposals that I'm going to pitch some different people, but you know, I've got some big plans. I'm, I'm very hopeful. I'm very excited for what's to come. Uh, I can't speak too much to it now because I don't want to 
say anything and then not be able to come through on that or say something and then things happen or I have to cancel. I want to have concrete plans and things written out where I can say this is what I'm going to do so then people can get excited for. I also wanted to um, thank a few people. I know I did some thank yous in the last uh, Thundergrads with Haley, but I wanted to thank Haley um, coming hosting. She somebody who did not have a big basketball background but really grew and really learned to appreciate and love the game and I'm glad to make a fan out of her. I had a lot of time a lot of fun talking with her. Uh, next John Barry, the guy who um, held who was held back by Trey Young in Norman North. Great basketball mind, always fun talking with John, always fun to have somebody who will challenge me back on some things and who I can go back with even if he just wants to talk about Cam Reddish all the time. But I really appreciate him and his basketball background as a guy who played at a pretty high level and is probably going to do something with basketball at some point, even if he's in law school right now. I know that he loves the game and uh, college basketball, so I'll continue talking to him. And last, uh, Miles. None of this happens without Miles. Miles um, helped me chase after this dream of covering the NBA, which I've had for a long time, but he helped me actualize that and be the Scotty Pippen to my Michael Jordan, which I'll, I know he'll love hearing as he'll be the, the Robin to my Batman. But... Uh, Miles really helped me uh, figure out exactly what I want to do with this and actualize a lot of the potential that I felt like I had and other people felt like I had and really um, just get a feel for exactly what we want to do. I mean, there are countless other Thundergrads that we had technical issues with in the very, very early days in the first few weeks. You can go look to our, uh, listen to our first podcast. It sounds like we're recording in a water bottle. But he is somebody who I was able to learn with and get through the bumps in the roads and who was extremely patient with me. And probably, no, he was my best friend that I ever had at OU. And I'm just so lucky to have these three people who worked with me and people who I would consider friends. So it's... It's been a really fun last year of doing this. I've had ideas of doing this for a very long time, but these people made my dream a reality and made it where I was able to do exactly what I want and give my creative freedom and really helped me chase and pursue my dream. So I definitely won't forget those people. But again, thank you all for listening and supporting over the past year. I really appreciate it. But just know there's even more to come. I'm very excited for this next chapter. I've got a lot of uh, great ideas on the way and a lot of I'm, I'm very hungry to get out there and just pursue this dream because this is what I really want to do. So I'm really driven, really hungry, like I said, to go out there and do this to the best of my abilities. This is not the end for me. This is just the beginning. This is just a launching pad. And that's what I intended with the Thundergrads from the very first uh, pod that we did from the first text I sent to Miles about it when we were finding names and uh, creating the art for this and all that and finding intro music. But again, thank you all so much for listening. I do plan on, um, I'm also going to another Thunder Draft Party tonight with Down to Dunk at Fassler Hall. Shout out. That'll be a lot of fun. Um, but I will be recording a reactionary podcast in the next couple of days. I do want to be able to do some film on whoever they draft at 34, who I'm probably not as familiar with, so I can be a little bit more insightful and not just give you some cookie cutter stuff. I want this to be worth listening to, as always, and give you the best content I possibly have. But I'm I'm definitely nervous tonight, nervous excitement, but you know. The Thunders, this is one of the biggest days in franchise history, and I think that we are in for a good time. Uh, whether the Thunder end up with Jabari or Chet or whoever in the 12 range, you got to trust Presti, but I think this is all going to work out. But I will talk to you all next time.